Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. If you're listening to me on the podcast, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday, and you are not going to want to miss it. If you are watching me on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. We post every Thursday, and you're not going to want to miss that. Now, for today's case, we have a wild one. Today, we are talking about the solved case of Amber Smith. Now, this case is unlike most that we have done in the past because usually we cover a case where a victim is either deceased or missing. However, for today, we are discussing a survival case. Amber's case is going to leave you guys absolutely speechless, and I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about it. So, with that being being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, Amber Smith was 20 years old at the time of her attack, and she was living in Fort Collins, Colorado with her three-year-old son, Gabriel. Now, in Amber's teenage years, she wasn't really making a lot of the right choices in life. She got herself involved in the wrong crowd and was really involved in an unhealthy lifestyle. However, after Gabriel's father and Amber split up, Amber decided that she really wanted to work on getting her life on track. She got a job at 7-Eleven and she completed getting her GED and focused on being the best single mom that she could for Gabriel. Now, Amber is someone who is pretty popular. She has a lot of friends. She's absolutely gorgeous and everyone loved being around her. Now, we're going to jump right to where this case begins on August 31st, 2013 in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, on this particular night, there was a police officer named Dane Stratton who received the news at about 4 o'clock a.m. that a 911 call had come in from a woman who was screaming at the top of her lungs in Cottonwood Glen Park. After the woman's 911 call had come in, there were also multiple neighbors who lived around the park calling in saying that they had heard a woman screaming as well and they were calling to report it. So when Officer Stratton got this phone call, he immediately rushed over to the park not knowing what he was about to witness. When Officer Stratton arrived at Cottonwood, he pulled up and his headlights shined over a woman who was laying on the concrete wearing nothing but one sock. Now, this woman was lucky to be alive. However, she had a lot of injuries. She had been bound with red duct tape over her eyes and the rest of her face. Her hands had been duct taped behind her back, and it was clear that she had been beaten severely. Officer Stratton immediately called for backup on the scene, and when other officers and paramedics arrived, they were able to assist the woman in removing all of the duct tape off of her. When when the duct tape was off, this woman was able to identify herself and she said that her name 
was Amber Smith. Amber was immediately rushed to the hospital to assess her injuries, and Officer Stratton actually rode in the ambulance with her, trying to get as much information out of Amber as he possibly could in that moment. Once Amber got to the hospital, the doctors were able to figure out that Amber had a brain bleed, and she also had a broken jaw, and her face was extremely swollen. One of her eyes was actually almost swollen shut. Amber had ligature marks all around her neck, and after a thorough examination, it had been proven that Amber had also been sexually assaulted. Now, at this point, authorities didn't know how Amber's injuries were going to affect her memory, because in the ambulance ride over to the hospital, when Officer Stratton was asking her these questions, Amber couldn't remember anything that had happened to her. She had no recollection of it, and authorities were worried that her injuries were going to cause her to have no memory of what happened, which ultimately was going to leave them at a dead end with this case. Authorities were trying their absolute hardest to try and figure out what happened to Amber. Now, initially, all that Amber said that she remembered was that earlier that night, because remember, she was found at about 4 o'clock a.m., she remembers that earlier that night, she was with a guy friend of hers about one and a half miles away from Cottonwood Park. She remembered that she was just out drinking with this friend of hers at a different park than the one that she was found at. The park that she was drinking at was Rossboro Park, and she said that she drank too much vodka and eventually passed out on a bench in the park. After passing out, Amber said that she assumed that the friend that she was with had just left her there, and the next thing she knew, she woke up and she was being attacked. Now, who was this friend that Amber was with earlier that night? Well, Amber told police that this friend that she was with was a man named Eric. Now, obviously, police wanted to speak with him because he was the last known person to have been with Amber the night of her attack. Now, after assessing her injuries, the forensics team tried to gather as much possible DNA evidence as they could. They processed every part of Amber's body as well as took any DNA that they could find off of the duct tape that was found on her. Now, due to the brutality of Amber's attack, authorities automatically knew that whoever did this to Amber clearly had a lot of built-up rage. This was a very personal attack on Amber. Whoever did this had a personal vendetta out to get Amber and to hurt her. Whoever did this was more than likely someone that Amber knew, which was honestly even more terrifying because she had no recollection of what had happened. So again, authorities' first step in all of this was to talk to Eric. Now, Eric was 20 years old and living with his parents at the time, and detectives figured out his address and drove over to speak with him. Now, when authorities went to his house, Eric's mother actually opened the door and told them that Eric was not at home. In fact, he was actually at church. Eric volunteered at his local church, so authorities rerouted and went there. Now, when authorities arrived at the church, they said that Eric seemed surprised that they were there to speak with him. However, he didn't seem as surprised that something had happened to Amber. Eric and Amber ran in the same friend group, so it appeared to authorities that Eric had heard through the grapevine that something had happened to Amber. It either had to be that or... Eric knew that something happened to Amber because he was the one who did it. 
Now, when recounting the night of August 31st, Eric told authorities essentially the same story that Amber did. He said that him and Amber were drinking in Rossborough Park and Amber got too drunk, ultimately resulting in her passing out on this bench. Eric said at first he did attempt to try and wake Amber up. However, she wasn't budging. So because of that, he decided to leave her there. Now, he said that when he left her there, he got in his car, he drove away. However, his guilty conscience got to him and he decided to turn back around and go back over to Amber to make sure that she was okay and try to get her to leave with him again. Now, this time when Eric went back to see Amber, Amber was more responsive and she was more conscious. She seemed, what Eric said, fine, regardless of the fact that moments prior, she was way too drunk and passed out on a bench. So Eric said that he thought that Amber was going to be fine. So he left her there in that park by herself and drove home. Now, everyone who's heard about this case, whether they thought at this point that Eric was guilty or not, can all agree that one thing he is for sure guilty for in that moment is being a terrible friend for leaving Amber alone in that condition. To leave your friend in a park at night by herself passed out drunk is an unbelievably bad decision, so much so that authorities could not even believe what they were hearing when Eric was telling them this. After hearing Eric's side of the story, authorities then took his DNA sample and sent it off to the lab to see if they could get a match on any of the DNA that was found on Amber's body. Now, police moved very fast on this case. All of this happened within the first 13 hours of the investigation. After collecting DNA samples, authorities went back to Amber to try and see again if they could get any more information out of her. Even though Amber at this point obviously was absolutely terrified, she was able to remember some more chilling details about her attack. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Amber said that she doesn't remember how long she was at Rossborough Park for by the time that Eric left. However, she did remember falling back asleep on the bench and waking up lying on her stomach. However, she wasn't outside anymore. Amber remembers being inside of some house at this point. So whoever did this to her had moved her. At this point, her hands, feet, and mouth were all bound with duct tape, and she knew that she was in trouble. So she began to scream at the top of her lungs, hoping that she would be able to scream through the duct tape. However, once she started to do that, her attacker came behind her and put a rope around her neck. Amber remembers the rope got tighter and tighter until she eventually lost consciousness. And the next thing she remembers was waking up in Cottonwood Park. Now, even though Amber was indoors during her attack, the lights were off and she was not able to see her attack 
attacker's face. Now, obviously, this attack changed Amber's life. She was constantly living in fear, especially not knowing who her attacker was. She said that if anyone was to look at her for more than just a couple seconds, she would automatically get suspicious, automatically think that they could have possibly been the one who did this. Amber also had a fear that because she survived the attack, that her attacker was going to come back and essentially finish the job that he had started because she was still alive. Now, four days after Amber was released from the hospital, she was automatically moved into a safe house. And investigators on this case really thought that they were going to be able to close this case quickly. They thought that they were going to be able to take the DNA that they found on the duct tape and send it off to the lab and that they would get an automatic hit in the system. The database that they were running the DNA through is a system called CODIS. Now, if you've never heard of CODIS before, CODIS stands for Combined DNA Index System. Whenever a felony crime is committed, the person who committed the crime has to submit their DNA and that gets held in the CODIS database for multiple reasons, but one of those reasons being that if they ever were to commit a crime again, it makes the investigation process a lot quicker and easier because forensics can link the DNA to that suspect automatically. So because of that fact, authorities thought that they were going to be able to close this case very quickly. They thought it was one of two options here. It was either going to be that Amber's attacker was already someone who was in the CODIS database or that the DNA was going to match Eric, the last person known to have been with Amber. Authorities thought there was absolutely no way that whoever did this to Amber was a first-time offender. So they thought that, again, this case was going to be very quickly closed. Now, after about a week after Amber's attack, the DNA results came back and investigators were shocked to learn that not only was the DNA found on the duct tape not found in the CODIS system, they also discovered that Eric's DNA was not a match to the DNA found on the duct tape, meaning that not only was Eric not a suspect in this case anymore, it also meant that whoever did this was in fact a first-time offender. Everyone, including Amber and the detectives in Amber's family, was absolutely shocked by this. And this was a really big halt in this investigation because detectives were really counting on this DNA, thinking that this would be the missing link. So this really left them back at square one. Now, for the following years after Amber's attack, this case really went cold. Authorities had no idea where to turn and Amber really felt defeated. Not only did she feel like this case was never going to get solved, she also felt a sense of guilt from her attack. She felt that because of her intoxication level, that is why she was attacked. And if she wasn't as drunk as she was that night, then none of this would have ever happened. So she did have a lot of guilt from this. However, in 2015, Amber decided to make a change. She ended up moving into a house with multiple roommates in Fort Collins, hoping that the change of scenery would be a fresh start for her. She thought that by living with new people, that it would really help in her moving on into this next chapter of her life. Now, this was really great for Amber because the house was in a safe neighborhood and she felt safe knowing that she was living with friends. She lived with her friends, Bryce Bailey and Stefan Moon, who everyone 
someone called Sam and some other girlfriends of hers. Now, Sam and Amber had become really close in the house. At first, Amber said that the first thing she recalled about Sam was he kind of looked at her a little funny at first. He gave her a couple what she called dirty looks at first. However, after the two of them started talking some more, they created more of a friendship and the two of them did become really close in that house. Sam really acted as Amber's confidant. He was incredibly supportive of Amber and Amber actually felt comfortable enough to open up to Sam about her attack. Now, for all things considered, this move and creating these new friends was a great start for Erin. Her family and her friends noticed a definite change in her well-being and her as a person. She seemed a lot happier and she seemed like she was ready to move on with her life. She always knew that this attack was going to be something that she was going to have to live with. It was always going to be a part of her story. However, she had come to terms with the fact that she didn't think that this case was ever going to be solved and she just didn't really want to think about it anymore. Now we fast forward to 2017 and one day in 2017, Bryce Bailey, who was one of Amber's housemates, his bike had actually gotten stolen and because of this, he decided to call the authorities to report his stolen bike and it didn't take authorities long to figure out that Bryce's bike had actually been sold to a pawn shop. Now, something interesting about the state of Colorado is that it is a felony crime to provide false information to a pawnbroker. And since that is exactly what happened with Bryce Bailey's bike, someone had stolen it and given it off to a pawn shop acting as if it was their own, this case now became a felony crime. Now, the pawnbroker was very eager to help authorities out in this case in any way that they could. And based off of the information that the pawnbroker was given by the person selling the bike, authorities were very quickly able to find their suspect. And this is where Amber's case finally gets the smoking gun that it needed. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. All right, you guys, welcome back. So once authorities had arrested their suspect for the man who had stolen Bryce Bailey's bike, his DNA was taken and sent off into the CODIS system. And when this happened, the forensics lab immediately got a hit on the DNA that was found in Amber's case, meaning that whoever had stolen Bryce Bailey's bike was the same person who had attacked Amber Smith. Now the lab couldn't believe it. And they immediately called up the detectives to tell them the news. And the detectives were just as shocked. By this point, Amber's attack happened four years ago. And again, Amber kind of came to terms with the fact that she never thought that her case was going to be solved. So detectives called up Amber and asked if it was okay if they came over to tell her some news. Now, by this point, Amber was living on her own. She had moved out of the house with her housemates. She had her own apartment that she was living in with her son. And when she got the news from detectives that there was an update in her case, she was absolutely shocked, but she could have never expected 
what it actually was. When detectives arrived to Amber's apartment, Amber and them sat down together, and that's when authorities told Amber that they had a hit on the DNA that was found on the duct tape. They explained to Amber how this happened, how they got there. They told Amber that not only did they have the DNA of the man that did this to her, they also had a picture of him that they were going to show her. Amber agreed to see the picture, and when detectives pulled the picture out, Amber was absolutely gutted. The man in the picture that detectives showed Amber was none other than Amber's old roommate, Sam Moon. This was the man that she lived with after her attack, the man who sat there and listened to her recount the entire attack front to back and pretended to be so supportive about the entire thing. This was the same man who tried to murder her. She told detectives that she didn't know Sam until two years after the attack. She was in a complete state of shock and after talking through everything with the detectives, the detectives actually convinced Amber to call Sam right there on the spot and ask him straight up if he was the one to attack her. And after talking out everything with the detectives, Amber agreed to do this. Amber called Sam and Sam answered the phone. When Amber was on the phone with Sam, they began, as any phone call does, they were catching up. They hadn't spoken in quite some time. However, this is when Amber went in for the kill. She told Sam that the DNA found on the duct tape at her attack matched his and he was speechless. A direct quote from Sam is quote, what? Oh my God, Amber, I don't know what to say. I did not hurt you, end quote. Sam continued to stutter over his words on this phone call while saying that he doesn't know how this could happen. Why did this happen? He didn't do this. There's no way how he was asking all of these questions, really not knowing how to answer any of Amber's. Sam was denying every single thing, and it was clear to authorities while they were listening to this phone call with Amber that Sam was not going to confess. But at the end of the phone call, something happened. At the end of this phone call, a light bulb went off in Sam's head, and he asks Amber, quote, it was you at Rossboro Park, right? End quote. Now, again, Rossboro Park was where Amber was left after she had drunkenly passed out. And after Amber said, yes, it was me at Rossboro Park, Sam's entire story decided to change. Sam went on to tell Amber that the night that she was at Rossboro Park, the two of them did in fact have sex. However, he claims, but I did not hurt you. Now, again, mind you, this entire phone call, Sam is sitting there trying to deny everything until the very end where he realizes he needs to change his story to place him at the scene at the time. He then goes on to say that he found an ad on Craigslist that Amber had put up saying that Amber was offering free oral sex in Rossboro Park and that he had responded to the ad and that is how the two of them met. He claimed that that had to be the reason as to why his DNA was on Amber, but that he had nothing to do with her attack. Now, after that, Sam said that he had to go and he hung up the phone. Now, I would like to mention, just very quick getting it out there, that Sam's story about this Craigslist ad was absolute 
BS. Amber claimed that his story was disgusting, embarrassing, and downright false. Now, having this new piece of information and having the DNA, just that alone linking to Sam, authorities went and picked Sam up and brought him back to the police department for questioning. Now, in his interrogation, Sam claimed time after time that he was innocent. He was crying and saying that he never hurt Amber. He claimed that he did have sex with Amber that night based off of that Craigslist ad, but he didn't know it was Amber because he never saw her face and never knew anything about her. Sam claimed that after his hookup with Amber, he then went home and told his roommate, Bryce Bailey, about the girl that he had met in the park. Remember, Bryce Bailey was also one of Amber's housemates in 2015. Sam claimed that after he told Bryce about the girl in the park, Bryce then went out and met with her himself. Sam said that about an hour after Bryce left, Bryce came back to their house with the girl this time, but again claimed that he never saw her face because they were in different rooms, and Bryce and this girl just went straight up to Bryce's bedroom. Bryce had shut the door, and Sam said that all he heard was yelling and screaming and crying coming from Bryce's bedroom. Sam said that the screaming and crying ultimately stopped, and Sam had thought that Bryce had murdered her. Sam said that while all of this was happening, he was in his room with the door closed, and he said that after he heard everything quiet down, he then got on his floor and looked from underneath his bedroom door and saw Bryce carry the woman over his shoulder, out of his bedroom, and out of the house. Now, despite all of this, Sam said that he didn't report any of it to police because he had asked Bryce about it the next day, and Bryce responded by completely beating up Sam, so he says. Sam claimed that Bryce told him that he did kill the woman that he had brought home the night prior, and that Sam would be next if he decided to say anything about it. Now, regardless of this elaborate story that Sam had made up, the detectives were not buying any of it. And the reason for that was because Sam's DNA was all over Amber and Bryce's DNA was nowhere to be found on her. Now, the next thing detectives wanted to do is they wanted to go and speak with Sam's parents. Now, Sam's parents told detectives that they did have a roll of red duct tape multiple years ago in their house. However, they remember it just not being there one day. Again, remember, the duct tape found on Amber's body was in fact red. And Sam's parents just remember one day the red duct tape was there and one day it wasn't. Sam's parents describe Sam as being very smart and bright in his upbringing. However, he didn't always make the best decisions. His parents even called him a screw up in one point of the interview. And they said that he was famous for doing stupid things. However, regardless of his stupid decisions, his parents said that his decisions were never aggressive or violent. And when hearing about the DNA and hearing about Amber's entire case and where Sam fell into it, Sam's mother was absolutely floored because her whole thing in Sam's upbringing was that she made sure that she taught Sam how to treat women and how to respect women. She was a nurse and only wanted her son to treat women with the utmost respect. So then detectives bring in Bryce Bailey at this point. Obviously, Sam had accused him of being the one to kill Amber, so authorities need to talk to him. This is the man that Sam had picked 
pinned all of this on. This was the man that Sam had lived with when this happened. And this was also the man that Amber had also lived with in 2015. Now, Bryce said that he had no connection whatsoever to Amber's attack. He said that he didn't even know who Amber was in 2013. And he also said that he believed that Sam was pinning all of this on him as a form of revenge. He believed that Sam was trying to get revenge on him for getting him in trouble in the first place with the authorities that in turn led to all this. And what he means by that is that Bryce was the one who called the police to report his bike missing, which in turn was the missing link to getting Sam's DNA verified. Bryce said that he has known Sam since he was five years old and he has always been a liar. Detectives also did some digging and made sure that this Craigslist ad did not exist and they could not find it anywhere. Bryce was very willing to give his DNA in order to clear his name. He gave detectives every sample that they asked for. Bryce's DNA was not found again anywhere on Amber. Now, the trial was coming up for Sam Moon, who was pleading not guilty for the assault against Amber. It began in August 2019, and Sam took the stand and still claimed that detectives didn't look long enough for the Craigslist ad and that he was innocent. Now, Amber also took the stand and was finally able to face Stefan for the first time. She recounted everything that happened to her on the day of her attack, and when all was said and done, it took the jury less than a day to reach a verdict. And the jury's verdict read that Sam Moon was not guilty on the charge of first degree for attempted murder. Everyone in that courtroom was absolutely stunned. You could hear the audible gasp that happened once that verdict was read. However, this is when the other charges came into play. On the second charge of kidnapping and sexual assault, Sam Moon was found guilty. The judge had sentenced Sam to 128 years in prison. So regardless of the fact that he was found not guilty for the attempted murder charge, which by the way is mind-blowing because it's exactly what had happened, there was no chance that Sam Moon was ever getting out of prison for what he did. Now at the trial, Amber took the stand and said, quote, I am angry, upset, and sad. So many things. But one thing I'll never be is Stefan Moon's victim. I'm broken, but I'm stronger than I've ever been. End quote. Now, again, the fact that Sam Moon did get 128 years, he's never getting out of prison, is a form of justice, and that is all that really matters. Amber will be able to close this chapter of her life, which is crazy that this trial only happened two years ago, but she is finally able to move on. And something that I find so mind-blowing about this case is the fact that Amber lived with Sam just years, two years after this attack, her not knowing, but he did. He sat there every day that he lived with her, knowing exactly what he had done, which is what I just think is the most wild component of this case, but I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. And that, you guys, is the case of Amber Smith. All right, you guys, that is all for today's episode. If you're listening to me on the podcast, again, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. If you're watching me on YouTube, make sure you also go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. We post every Thursday. You're not going to want to miss that. Also, make sure you go ahead and share this 
episode with anyone that you know who loves true crime, the more exposure we get on these cases, the better chance that they have being solved, the better chance of tips coming in, and the better chance for justice for these victims. With that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. I will be back next week with a brand new one. And until then, stay safe. Bye, guys.